Church. My name is Jason Fisher, and uh, I'm with a church called Heritage Church. We're up in North Phoenix, where the players play. Um, I'm just kidding. You know that's not true. Um, so glad to be here with you. I'm uh, just really good friends with Tim and Jaya, and I'm really, really ha- happy that they're able to get away and rest. My prayer for them also, though, is that it's not just rest, uh, that, that they would wrestle as well, wrestle with the Lord in this time. Anytime we disrupt our rhythms and so forth, even if it's fun things, uh, God has something new and different for us. And so maybe you're there too right now. And so that's, that's my prayer for us as summer is sort of this disruption of a lot of schedules and different things that it would be rest, but maybe also a time of wrestling as well in a good way. Um, we are in a series, or you all are in a series on the Psalms, and uh, today we're going to uh, be looking at the power of waiting, the power of waiting which sounds like nonsense. I realize that. Like there's, the, we hear that, we go, there's, there's no power in waiting. There's, there's weakness in waiting. There's vulnerability in waiting. It's, it feels very powerless. I, um, I, had, uh, I had back surgery back in February, which really is inconsequential other than to tell you that I've been a lot of doctor's offices recently. And uh, a lot of us have probably been there. You've been to a doctor's office or a dentist's office or whatever, and you walk into that waiting room and it's just this weird, overwhelming, vulnerable feeling. I don't know if I'm alone in this or not, but I am, I'm an intelligent guy. I, I'm a leader of leaders. I drive a full Runner, and I walk into this place and I feel like an idiot. I feel like I'm just completely out of my element. I don't know what they're going to ask me or tell me to do or do to me or whatever. And I walk into this waiting room, this doctor's office, and it's just this really kind of like I'm just suddenly a nobody with nothing, like nobody cares. I'm just another person there to see the doctor. And the receptionist is drunk with power. Because, you know, you walk in and she's, you know, just, here you go, I'm here to, you know, fill this out and uh, go take a seat over there, like over here, yeah, just wherever. Uh, and the doctor would be, doctor will be with you shortly. Liar. <laughs> and we just wait. We just sit. We, don't, we have no idea what's going on. And then they take you to another room to wait. And why do they do, are any doctors here? Why do, what do you do, why do you do this? What's... But we just, it's such a, it's the, it's the worst, isn't it? That feeling of just sitting there, not knowing what's going on, who knows what the doctor is doing. You know, they're just, they're, I don't know, who knows? And then they finally come in and it's, it's the worst thing. But the Bible shows us that there is great power in waiting. I want that to sink in for a moment because we hate to wait. In our culture, waiting is a sin. If you have to wait for anything for any length of time, you're doing it wrong, right? The Bible says there's great power in waiting. So if you have a Bible, turn to Psalm chapter 62. Psalm chapter 62. I'm going to read this in its entirety. And then uh, just make some observations about it for us here this morning. For God alone is my, sorry, for God alone my soul waits in silence. From him comes my salvation. 
He alone is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be greatly shaken. How long will all of you attack a man to batter him like a leaning wall, a tottering fence? They only plan to thrust him down from his high position. They take pleasure in falsehood. They bless with their mouths, but inwardly they curse. For God alone, O oh my soul, wait in silence. For my hope is from him. He only is my rock and my salvation, my fortress. I shall not be shaken. On God rests my salvation and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Trust in him at all times, O people. Pour out your heart before him. God is a refuge for us. Those of low estate are but a breath. Those of high estate are a delusion. In the balance they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Put no trust in extortion. Set no vain hopes on robbery. If riches increase, set not your heart on them. Once God has spoken, twice have I heard this, that power belongs to God and that to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. For you will render to a man according to his work. We're told here that this is a psalm written by King David. And if you know anything about King David, he was anointed to be the next king right around 15 years old. And then he had to wait for 15 years, all the while being threatened and pursued and threatened to death by the, the current king, King Saul. David learned early on in his life what it means to wait 15 years he had to wait. Although we also know when we fast forward in David's life, when he's got it all, he also forgot how to wait. And he took things for himself. One of the things I love about the Bible, and I love that, just how honest it is. It doesn't hold up these, these guys like David and, and others as these wonderful heroes that nail it, that get it right all the time. I can relate. I feel like David gets me when he writes these psalms. The psalms are poetry, which you've probably gathered, and maybe you heard me read this, or you're reading it along, and you're like, what does this mean? Well, that's the nature of poetry, right? Even English poetry that's somewhat familiar to us, that is written and penned in English, kind of is abstract, and there's lots of images and metaphors and all that stuff, right, that, that poetry offers. There's just a lot of room there because it's art, right? It's, it's, it's language art, and so we've got to kind of understand a little bit and look, this is Hebrew poetry that was written thousands of years ago. So it's a little bit foreign to us, but when we begin to understand what this, what this poetry is doing, it becomes very familiar to us because Psalms is also, as, as all poetry is, it's from the gut, it's from the heart. I love that about the Psalms. Once we can kind of dig through like the unfamiliarity of the, the imagery and the repetition and different things, we start to see like these are real people expressing things about God from their gut and they're imperfect people. And sometimes like the, they just, they're wrestling with God. And it's this really beautiful thing that we get to see in the Psalms. It's where faith in God meets the reality of life, of human struggle and emotion. That's why I love the Psalms. That's why I love that you're doing a series in the Psalms here this summer. 
And I want to direct your attention to uh, verses 1 and 2 and 5 and 6. You might have noticed they were very, very similar to one another. I call this the refrain of this psalm because it's repeated twice. It's a little bit different. For God alone, my soul waits in silence. And then in verse 5, he says, for God alone, oh, my soul, wait in silence. It's like he's, it's like he's reminding himself. It's like he's looking in the mirror and go, wait, man, wait, wait in silence for God. He alone, or from him comes my salvation. And then verse five, it says, for my hope is from him because there's great hope in the reality that God is our salvation. So these are, these are the two refrains here. These are sort of the anchor parts of this psalm. This is where the, the really deep truth lies that we can tether ourselves to when it comes to relating to God and waiting. And so here's some of the important realities about God. Remember, this is poetry. And so we have some images here. God is called our rock. God is called our salvation and God is called our fortress. I want to give you some space here just for a moment to let the poetry, let the imagery work in your imaginations for a little bit here. What do you think of? You don't have to shout it out, but just what do you think of when you think of a rock? Are you standing on that rock? What else could you be standing on? Remember, Jesus uses, uses uh, he contrasts a rock and sand. So a rock might be a good place to build something. A rock is a good, strong foundation. Salvation is a little more abstract, right? This act of being rescued from something. You ever been saved from something? Even if it's just from something little, like an awkward conversation. You know, someone who knows you well, like comes along and rescues you. You're like, oh, thank you. You are my salvation. Of course, there's bigger, more important things as well. What about fortress? What do you see in your imagination when you think of a fortress? It's strong, isn't it? It's big. It'd be hard to get through the walls and the gates of that fortress, wouldn't it? These are the images that David uses to describe God. And all of these are images of stability in the middle of turmoil. Why would you need to hide in a fortress? Because something's going on outside. Because something's happening, it's unsafe, it's vulnerable, and it's scary. And so we need a fortress, we need a rock in times of, of instability, and we need salvation when, when we need rescuing. And that's the reality of life, isn't it? That life is full of turmoil. Life's full of conflict. I mean, just take an inventory just quickly here of even just some of the inner conflict you've had today or this last week. Is there a relational conflict? Uncertainty about a job? About future? I understand there's a big wrestling team here this morning. You guys get conflict. Like, that's what you do, right? You engage in conflict. And it's, it's so good. There's so, much, there's so much in life just in that. From what do you need salvation? Fear? Insecurities? That's real stuff, isn't it? That's, that's all stuff that 
Everyone in this room has probably had some level of, some degree of in this last week. This is real. There's turmoil and it threatens us deep in our being and we look for rescue. In the midst of those things, in the midst of feeling insecure and inadequate or afraid or out of control that then boils up out in anger, right, for a lot of us. There's this desire to just need to control the situation. And we wouldn't necessarily put it in those terms like David does in that moment. I need a rock. I need some salvation. I need a fortress. We just go, I need to, I need to right the ship. I need to figure this out. I need to be in control here. I need things to go my way. I want to win, and I want to be comfortable while I'm doing it. God alone, he says several times, God alone, only God is my salvation, my rock, and my fortress. And I got to be honest with you. There are plenty of times in my life where I have not been able to honestly say God alone. I would have been lying if I had said God alone. There are even aspects of my life right now where I'm fighting, I'm wrestling. I don't want to wait on God. That's not fun. That's painful. It's weird. It's, there's so many unanswered questions. We have these hardwired needs in us to be loved, to be liked, to have purpose, meaning, a sense of satisfaction, even comfort, rest, significance. And when David says, God alone is my rock and my fortress, He's saying that God alone is his source to meet all of those needs. That God alone is the one who can speak to those because he's made us that way. He alone is the one who gets to provide me with the things that my heart deeply longs for. And yet God allows disruptions and hardships, instability in our lives to reveal these other things, to reveal these other rocks, these other salvations, these other fortresses. And maybe you're there right now. You've crashed and burned because something has happened in your life and that stability has just been taken out from under you. I don't want to sound insensitive in this. And, 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 and you need to be surrounded with people who love you and who know you. So I want to say this as gently as I can. If that thing was not God, then what you're experiencing, even in the pain of it right now, is a gift of grace from God. Because he wants you to see and he wants to replace these other rocks, these other salvations and fortresses that you've allowed to be built up in your life with him and him alone. That's hard, isn't it? It's messy and it's confusing and it's painful. 
I think that's where David chimes in and says, for God alone my soul waits in silence. David highlights three of these other familiar, I think familiar to us, rocks that we tend to put our trust in, that we tend to build for ourselves. I think there's three here. There's lots more in life, but I think we have the privilege of seeing three here from David. One of them is the approval of others. I'm probably not the only one in the room who loves the approval of others. Like it's embarrassing for me to have to admit I'm a grown man and yet I just, I long to just be told I'm great and good and nice and fun and funny. And not all of you deal with that. And I admire you for that. You got your own problems. (laughs) But man, the approval of others, it's so easy for that to become a rock for me. I'm liked. People like me. And I just, this is pretty sound footing, isn't it? Look at verses three through four. David likens it to a, a leaning wall or a tottering fence. That's really what the approval of others is like. Just up there, you don't know when you're going to fall off. And then he describes these people who may have even put him on that pedestal and that ladder. They're blessing with their mouths, but inward, they're cursing. In other words, they're speaking good, they're speaking what you want to hear, but inside they can't wait for you to fall and fail. That's just the nature of sinful people. And he says, man, there's... There is no strength in this. It's like a leaning wall, a tottering fence. These people, they take pleasure in falsehood. Contrast that, this false rock of other people's approval, with the love of God. Verse 12, to you, O Lord, belongs steadfast love. Man, we need that. We need that sense of love and acceptance and approval. And David says, you're not going to get it from people perfectly, but you're going to get it from God. That term steadfast love is repeated a ton of times in the Psalms because God is a God of steadfast love. It is like a rock. The second one uh, that, that David highlights is social status and the admiration that comes with it. Maybe you're not looking for people's approval, but you sure love their admiration. You don't care if you're liked, you want to be respected, right? David addresses that right here. He talks about it in verse verse 9. Those of low estate are but a breath. Estate just means status. It means people who maybe weren't, weren't, weren't born into a, a, a wealthy family or didn't have a lot of opportunities or whatever. Those of, who are low estate... They're just a breath. They're just, and they're gone. Those of high estate, they, they do have power. They have wealth. They have all these things. They're a delusion. They're just like, a, they're just a, a um, what's a hallucination. 
in the balances, they go up. They are together lighter than a breath. Here's where the, the poetry kind of misses us a little bit. The balances, that's how they would weigh, that's how they would uh, gauge how, how valuable something was. So they would have this scale with a plate here and a plate here, and if they wanted to measure out, like, okay, they had this system of measure, and they would put certain pieces of metal in here, and then maybe some grain over here, and they would scale it and measure it out and go, okay, this amount of grain is worth this much of this metal, Right? And what he's saying here is that neither one of them, people of low estate or high estate, they go up in the balance. They weigh nothing. That's the image here. They just go up, up. They weigh nothing because they are are worthless. Their status is worthless. Contrast that then with what we see in verse 7. On God rests my salvation and my glory. In another translation, the NIV, uh, it translates that word honor. This is this desire for honor, for glory. We all have this. It's hardwired into us. We want this. We want admiration. We want want, uh, to be given the credit where credit is due. We want that honor and that glory. And yet David says, you're not going to find it in your social status or the admiration of other people. It is only given by God. And the third one is wealth. Ill-gotten wealth or otherwise. Verse 10, put no trust in extortion. Okay, check. Set no vain hopes on robbery. Great. But if riches increase, no matter how you get them, set not your heart on them. I don't know what kind of image you have right now of the riches, you know, um, I'm, a, I'm a child of the 80s and 90s, and so instantly I think of the show DuckTales and Scrooge McDuck swimming through his big, you know, storehouse of gold. I, 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 that sounds wonderful. It sounds so fun. But really what I want you to think about is, is the trust that you put in the things that you have. Like, what's the next thing you're looking to to fill your heart? What's in your... What's in your shopping cart right now on Amazon that you're just about ready to click the button on? Because you know it's just, ah, it's going to make me feel so good when that package comes. It's like Christmas every day. And then we open it up, we're like, ah, eh, whatever. It's because it's fleeting. Contrast that with the reward that we get from God. He says for, in verse 12 at the end, for you will render to a man or a woman according to their work. That, that word again in the NIV translation is reward. You will reward this person. So reward comes from God. And listen, our desire, your desire to be loved and to, lo- to be liked for significance, all those things, that is not a sin It's not a sin for you to want any of these things, but how we seek to meet those needs of admiration, of approval, of comfort even, of of things that make our life simpler and more um, efficient, all these different things, enjoyable, those aren't bad things. Those are given to you by God. And the psalmist says in, in in another psalm, in Psalm 37, uh, he talks about uh, th- that, uh, that God gives us the desires of our heart. And, and that, that doesn't mean that God gives us what we want. It means actually that God shapes our desires. 
God is the one who gets to mold those things and then provide for them. So how do we seek to meet those needs can stand in contrast to God. And we're told to wait. There's other ways to meet these needs, right? And it looks like a fight. It looks like taking. So, for instance, if I'm taking other people's approval and I'm standing on that and I'm thinking that's a sure foundation, but actually it's just a, it's just a leading wall, a tottering fence, but I'm there, who's in control at that moment? Maybe me. Maybe the people who have, like, are, are feeding my ego. That's really precarious, isn't it? It's really precarious. And I would, I would suggest to you that especially in those times of instability, of disruption in our lives, where things are not going the way that we think that they should, we're reminded first and foremost that there is very little that is, that is promised to us in this life. There's very, very few certainties in life. And so it's a grace because we're, 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 in a sense, forced to trust and rely on God again, the one who is steadfast, the one who is certain. And a way to do that is waiting. And I've already told you, I hate to wait. If you ever want to gauge your level of entitlement, wait. It's a scary exercise. You start to tell yourself you deserve this, that, or the other thing. We're not good at waiting. Even when we're supposed to wait, and even when we're told like to wait in a doctor's office, we've got <laughs> right? We're just we're just constantly just consuming stuff so we don't have to wait. I dare you to wait in small sense and in greater senses. So what does it mean to wait for God? David says this several times, for God alone, my soul waits in silence. That word is actually one word in the original Hebrew language, waits in silence. So there's this, there's this sort of nuance of waiting that's silent, where I'm not saying anything. I'm not trying to fill my mind and fill the space with something, anything, right? But I'm waiting in silence. If that sounds agonizing to you, and I think the Spirit is speaking to you to exercise the discipline of waiting. And I do believe that's what it is, a spiritual discipline. If you don't know what a spiritual discipline is, it's like any other discipline, so you can relate it to sports, you know, uh, wrestling, for instance. So there's certain disciplines, there's moves, there's, you know, just certain things you've got to do in order to be better at what it is that you're doing. We also have that in relationships, in vocations, and all sorts of, there's just different disciplines. So there's relational disciplines. There's certain things I can and can't do in order to relate to you properly. If we're going to be friends, I can't hate your kids, right? That would, that would not work for you. So there's, there's certain relational disciplines that we enter into on a daily basis, and that's how I see this as well. There are certain ways that we can relate to God, that God in his grace has revealed to us, shown us how it is that we can relate to him. And I think one of those among many is waiting. You ever thought about waiting in terms of a spiritual discipline? I believe it is. So what does it look like? Well, first of all, um, it's, a, it's a spiritual discipline where we relinquish our need to control everything and trust in God's love and provision. 
And like I said earlier, I think we tend to view waiting like a waiting room. And this is how we view God, right? We're just sitting in this waiting room like this, twiddling our thumbs alone with our thoughts and old issues of People magazine. And God's off doing his thing like the doctor. We don't know what he's doing, but I'm told to wait. So, all right, God, you do your thing. I don't know what you're doing. I don't even know if you're there right now. Is he behind the door? Who knows? And we just kind of wait. That's not waiting. That's not biblical waiting. That's not what David is talking about here. Waiting is actually very active, and it's highly relational. When we're told to wait, it's not to wait for God, although it even it says that in our English translation, it's to wait with God. When we start to see the different ways that the Bible talks about waiting for God, it's actually waiting with God. David shows us what active waiting looks like in verse 8. He says, trust at all times. If you're trying to, to make something happen quickly, you need to stop. You just need to stop. He says, pouring out our hearts before him, letting him shape our desires, like I said from Psalm 37 to cast our anxieties on God through thanksgiving and honestly talking to God about our needs, like we see in Philippians chapter four. These are active things that we can do, active waiting, where we go, God, I'm frustrated, I'm annoyed, I'm I'm tempted to take control of the situation, but I'm gonna cast my anxieties on you, I'm gonna be honest about it with you, I'm gonna give you thanks for the things that I do have in my life, not the least of which is you and the stability that you've shown me, the steadfast love that I've seen in my life. And I'm gonna trust you, I'm gonna give this over to you, God. That's waiting, Adele Calhoun has a a book on the spiritual disciplines. It's called the Spiritual Disciplines Handbook. It's awesome. I highly recommend it. This is what she says about waiting. Waiting with God is where we learn how to be happy when we don't get our own way. It's where we get practice in learning how to forgive reality for being different than we want. Waiting is where we learn how to forgive people for being their less than perfect selves. And waiting is where we learn how to forgive God for not being like a magician, a conjurer, or a wizard. Waiting with God teaches us to let go of our expectations so we can receive what is given. So in practice... Maybe you're not waiting for anything big right now, but you want to enter into the spiritual discipline of waiting. There are things that we can do to get our hearts and minds practiced at waiting. For instance, go last. At the next big meal, go last. Yeah, but that best piece of steak may be gone. Yeah. Wait to buy that thing. Just wait. Be slow to anger and therefore slow to speak. I could go on. You get it. There are things that we can do to just wait, to discipline ourselves, to wait. We have seasons of waiting, but 
All of life is a process of active waiting. We will never be fully satisfied in this life. And that's why we hope in the promise of Christ's return. There's nothing this world has to offer you that will fully meet the needs that you have that God has given you. Only God will meet those needs. And he demonstrated that he has the power, but also the love and the humility to meet those needs at the cross. When he gave his only son, Jesus, who died on a cross and rose again, not only to demonstrate his love towards us, but also to rescue us, to save us. He is our salvation. He did what we could not do. And so that is faith in Jesus Christ that gives us the hope that David has, that so many Christians throughout the world have, knowing that right now we're waiting. But we're waiting for and with a God who is full of steadfast love, who is our fortress, who is our salvation, and who is our rock. And because of that, we can say with David, I will not be greatly shaken. So Heavenly Father, we want to trust you. God, I release once again my entitlements to you. Lord, I pray that you would show me and show us how to forgive others. How to wait for you to work. Not passively, Lord, we know that, but actively trusting in you. Lord, we just together acknowledge that our circumstances, whatever they are, as certain as they might feel, are not permanent. We know that things will change. But we know that you do not. And so our hope is in you, Lord Jesus, in your return. And so we declare that we will not be greatly shaken. Give us the courage to wait. We pray these things in Christ's name. Amen.